Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Well, if you're looking to be a head coach, you want to learn from the very best. And our guest today, Bill Curry, was a great coach, and he learned from the absolute legends of the game. Bobby Dow down at Georgia Tech, and then the great Vince Lombardi with the Packers, and then Don Shula with the Baltimore Colts. Incredible. Bill, do you ever sometimes say to yourself, my God, look who I was associated with as, as a player? Well, I say to myself, why didn't some of that rub off? <laughs> why, when I went, when I started to coach, I thought, man, I'm going to be really smart because I played for all those great coaches. I found out it doesn't work that way. The worst possible preparation to be a college head coach is to play in the NFL a long time because I didn't understand that it took every ounce of my concentration to survive as an offensive center. So I, I thought I knew a lot of football. I did not. I knew how to survive in my position, and I had to learn the rest of it from the ground up. But I was with those great men and many other great coaches, who too many to uh, name here. I learned something from every one of them, and I tried to convey those great principles to our players. I did try to do that, and I'm eternally grateful to them. And the ones you mentioned, of course, are the most famous of all. You mentioned Lombardi and, and not realizing what you got into. And I always remember John Madden saying he thought he knew a lot. He was an assistant coach. And then he went to some seminar that Lombardi had just on the sweep. And he said, after that, he goes, okay, I need to learn a lot more. There's a lot more to this than I, uh, I realized. I reported to the Green Bay Packers late because of the college all-star game. In those days, I don't know how old you are, but for many years there was a game between the, the college all-stars and the NFL champions. So I had played on the college team against the Cleveland Browns in 1965. And so that put us two weeks reporting to camp. So I report to the Green Bay Packer camp. And the first thing the next morning, there's a knock at my door about 7 a.m. And I thought, oh, it's some other rookies messing with me. Um, but I, I think I shouted, come on in. It was Vince Lombardi. <laughs> Can you imagine how fast I got out of that top bunk? I, I probably fell on my face, but <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I said, well, Coach, uh, what are you, <laughs> why are you here? He had a yellow legal pad, and he, he laughed, and he said, okay, let's sit down over here. He drew every Green Bay Packer play with the audible system, the calls that the center had to make and play recognition, defensive recognition. And I would give anything if I had that yellow legal pad because I can still draw those plays to this day. I can't draw up any other offensive system, but I can draw up his plays because he was such a great teacher. That's really, uh, that was the, one of the, one of the big things about his success. You started out with Bobby Dodd in uh, college, and he was uh, known for uh, really, at the time, which was kind of strange, he really was respectful 
of the players and kind of like the book's first philosophy and so forth. Do you think that kind of set you off and was just kind of the great takeoff with that? And did that kind of affect you when you got into college coaching uh, and how to treat the players? It didn't kind of affect me. It was my mission. When I went to Georgia Tech, I was 17 years old. My guidance counselor at my high school called me and said, Bill, look, you're not a stupid boy, but you have frolicked all the way through high school. You have no chance at Georgia Tech. None, not, not any chance. You will never – they have calculus. They take statistics and physics, and they have National Merit Scholars. And uh, so I thanked her and went down to the library and looked up the word frolic, and she was exactly right. But Coach Dodd took a chance on me. He said, now, men, if you're not a good football player, that's not your fault. That's my fault because I invited you here. A lot of the schools in the South were signing 60 kids and running 30 of them off at summer drills, and he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't run anybody off unless you cut class. He said, now, the one thing you can do that will get you out of here and I will send, I will carry you home myself is if you start cutting class. Well, I thought he was teasing about that, so I cut a class, one class, one chemistry class, 17 years old. I said, no way they can catch me. There are 100 kids in the class. I'm going to sleep in. The next day, my name was on the bulletin board. Bill Curry, report to Grant Field. It's now Bobby Dodd Stadium. Report to Grant Field, 5.30 a.m. Wednesday morning in your running gear. They ran me up and down the West Stands until I was gagging and sobbing, and I decided that chemistry at 8 o'clock in the morning was a wonderful thing to do. (laughs) And that's a cute little story, but here's what happened. I never cut another class. I graduated from one of the hardest schools in the world where I did not belong academically. And more importantly than that, I got a mission in life. And I tried to teach that to every young person I ever worked with for the next 60 years. What a way to teach responsibility, right? And and the fact that it's stuck is just a, a testimony to what Dodd was able to do. Yep. And plus he was a great football coach, and that didn't hurt. I think the only reason I made it in the NFL is because I could play all the special teams, and that he was he was a fanatic about that too. He he had played at the University of Tennessee, and um, one of the reasons he was so uh, strong on us graduating is that he never graduated. His record as a quarterback at UT was twenty seven and one, but he never got a degree, and he felt like that had been such a bad mistake on his part as a youth, and he wasn't going to let any of us repeat it. But he also learned, and just from General Nalen, the powerful importance of field position and the kicking game, and all of us could play on special teams because we didn't have any choice. I think that's the only reason I made it in the NFL in the early years. You go to the Packers, so you go to an intense guy, a great coach, and like you say, you know, he's loved by his players, but... I remember you saying it didn't necessarily mean you liked him. I mean, he was a tough guy. No, I didn't like him. I didn't. I detested him. I, I didn't understand him. Uh, he had one incredible advantage. Uh, I didn't. I didn't understand this either. Coming from the racist South, I had never been in a huddle with an African American person. And his greatest attribute, I learned much later was that he would not tolerate racism, would not tolerate it. And, of course, we quickly figured that out, and thank goodness there were African-American leaders on the team that took me in. 
I thought they would injure me and run me off, but Willie Davis and Herb Adderley and others were so kind to me and embraced me and said, now, Bill, you can't say this. You, you can say that. This is the way you need to behave and you need to play hard and we're going to help you here. And uh, that's the reason nobody could beat us. Cause, uh, not because we had more African-American players necessarily, although we did, but there was such an atmosphere of respect in the room and everybody knew that everybody there was equally respected and nobody else in the league seemed to have that at the time. So uh, he, he built that atmosphere, but he also built an atmosphere of fear. And I felt like that was abusive uh, and I was wrong. And I had to, and then the thing that I talked to David Marinus about when he was doing his biography of Coach Lombardi was when I went to his hospital room when he was dying and I apologized to him for um, not understanding him at all. I spoke with Willie Davis years ago. Back, you know, he's he was involved, a great businessman as well as a great football player. And I got it, because when you had talked about him, I, I didn't really understand just how tight that team was and so forth. He actually pulled you aside and said he was going to help you, which you had to think, like, my God, what's this guy coming over to talk to me about? You certainly figured probably maybe you weren't even going to make the team at that point. I was the last round draft choice, and I thought when, when he called my name, I thought, oh, God, he's going to tell me to get lost. And, oh, man, did I want to make that football team. I was just – I did not want to call my beautiful bride, Carolyn, and tell her they, they're sending me home. I just – I couldn't bear the thought. But um, when he called me out, uh, in the, it was a dark night on St. Norbert College campus. This voice says, Bill, sounded like God to me. But um, I said, oh, gee, what's he going to say? He said, I've been watching you at practice. And um, I like your effort, and I think you've got a chance to make our team, and I'm going to help you. <laughs> it just changed my life in a heartbeat, in an instant. I never looked at any human being in the same way I had. Not only African-American or people of different pigmentation or people of different religions or national origin, but not any human being because prejudice simply was not in the equation there. And that's why there was such respect, mutual respect in the locker room. We didn't all like each other. Uh, there were a lot of days we didn't like our coaches, but they did. They made us do what we had to do to win. More with Bill Curry, who was a two-time Super Bowl champion and played in two NFL Pro Bowls. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. Hi, this is Andy Martello, Las Vegas entertainer, award-winning author, voice of the Las Vegas Aviators, and generally tired human being. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Gentle Giants Dog Food Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the Caped Crusader, and now I'm the Canine Crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. 
years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt. Your shoulder hurts. Your elbow and back are constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here's something you haven't tried. Pain Magic. Pain Magic is not available at any drugstore. The only place you can get it is by calling the special toll-free number I'm about to give you. And to make things even better, call right now and find out about our buy one, get one free offer. We're so confident it'll work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription required. Call now to learn how you can get pain magic and get rid of your pain. Remember, your results may vary. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. That's 800-419-1971. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm talking with Bill Curry, who played for some of the greatest coaches of all time, including Vince Lombardi and Don Shula. And what was Bart Starr like? Because he, he strikes you as one of the great leaders, really, when you think of a, a general taking his team out. Bart Starr is one of the two or three finest men I've ever known, and for reasons that I've never understood, I don't think he even understood it. But he adopted me, uh, and it was the first few minutes that I was on the team. The night before that famous Lombardi football lesson, I was walking over to dinner when, after I had reported to the Packers, and I realized somebody was walking next to me. <laughs> and now this is a, a last-round draft choice center walking to dinner for his first time. I didn't know if they were going to make me sing. I was nervous. I was feeling nauseous. I had a slight concussion from the game the night before. I just felt terrible. And I turned the guy that's next to me walking with me. Hadn't said a word. It was Bart Starr. I said, oh, my gosh, Mr. Starr. He said, don't give me any of that Mr. stuff. It's Bart. And I said, oh, well, hi, Bart. And he said, Bill, we're so glad to have you on our team. This is exactly what he said. First time he ever saw me. Uh, in Green, near Green Bay, Wisconsin. He said, um, um, Cherry and I believe we have a wonderful minister. I don't know what your faith is, but we go to the Methodist Church, and if you'd like to go to church with us and come to Sunday dinner tomorrow, we'd love to have you. Those were the first words out of his mouth, and he never changed. Well, no matter what teams we were on when we played against each other, it didn't matter. I was always his little brother. When he uh, would come through Atlanta after I got uh, traded um, and we were playing against each other. He would we'd go to dinner and he'd say, if I ever get a big job, I'm going to hire you. Now, a lot of folks say stuff like that, and you tell me how often it happens. Well, he got the head coach, general manager job of the Green Bay Packers and hired me. And, I mean, he just did exactly what he said he was going to do. 
And I could tell you, I could spend the next two hours telling you stories of what I've seen Bart Starr do with human beings to treat them, make them feel like they were somebody really special. He's just, he's just unbelievable. You know, it seems like faith was a thing that went through the locker room there. I mean, you think of Vince Lombardi practically was a priest. These people took it seriously, and you really were, you hear a lot about teams being families, but it it seems like from everybody I've ever talked to that has been involved with that organization at that time, it really was like a family. Well, as I said, I came from the Jim Crow South, and I didn't know, I I only knew one Catholic, and he was wacko. Uh, so I didn't like Catholics. I didn't like Yankees. I didn't like Italians. I didn't like people of color. All that, all those stupid prejudices that that um, some people had. And I'm so embarrassed to confess that that was the case. But so I went to Bart and I said, you know, Coach Lombardi. People talk about him being a Christian. I I can't believe with his language that he's. Uh, I'd be worried about his soul. Um, Somebody said he goes to church every day. Nobody goes to church every day. And Bart said, whoa, hold it there, Buster. Don't be judgmental, Bill. My first lesson from Bart Starr, he could be very, very ferocious. Don't be judging people. Uh, Coach Lombardi does go to church every day. He goes to Mass every single morning. He's a daily celebrant, Bill. No, of course he's not perfect, but he is a very devout um, Catholic. And don't forget that. And he said, oh, by the way, when you've been working for this guy about three weeks, you're going to realize this man needs to go to church every day. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of his favorite lines. But so I started watching him very differently. And uh, the greatest halftime speech I ever heard in my life, uh, we were in Detroit and they were the Lions were the only team that were not intimidated by us. Uh, they had Alex Karras and Night Train Lane and Coach Lombardi. I think Coach Lombardi was afraid that Night Train was going to kill one of our receivers. I mean, they were just tough. Joe Schmidt was the middle linebacker. And um, at the half, the score was 21-3. to They were killing us. I mean, running us out of the stadium. And the crowd's going crazy. And um, we're on the same sideline because we were playing in Tiger Stadium, the old baseball field. So one of the line players comes by, I'm not going to call his name, and he looks at Lombardi and says, how do you like that, you fat bleeping, bleeping? And uh, I just thought God's going to strike him dead on this spot right now. Uh, but he didn't. He just kept walking. And I turn, I look at Coach, and he's smiling. And it's Lombardi smiling. This guy just dog-cussed him in front of 70,000 people. And he thinks it's funny. So we go in the locker room for halftime, and everybody's terrified about what what he's going to do to us because he could destroy you with his rhetoric. And he doesn't come in the locker room. Only time in my life, 700 football games, the coach doesn't show up for the halftime. The NFL halftime lasts 12 minutes. So after about 11 and a half minutes, he steps in the door. He's been standing in the dugout down at the far end of the locker room. He walks so he can get eye contact one at a time with all 40 men. And this is what he said. Men, we're the Green Bay Packers. And he turned around and walked out. Now, I'll let you guess what happened in the second half. (laughs) Yeah. You see, he didn't have to give us all those instructions and uh, your religion, your family, the Green Bay Packers, and great physical condition because he hammered them into our 
brains and our bodies every day. All they had to do is remind us of who we were. We ran them out of the stadium the second half. It, it just got so embarrassing, they started fighting each other. Um, so that's the atmosphere. That's the culture that he created. And it was a very distinctive blend, and I don't think anybody else could have done it. But I'll guarantee you he could do it anytime, anywhere. You get a starting job there, which is a big deal. Okay, you start in the Super Bowl. I mean, that was huge, the first one. And that was really important to him, too, right? Because he was getting, I, I know, a lot of pressure from the other NFL team saying, like, hey, we can't lose this game. Well, exactly. And he, he really, he was even more on edge that week than he had been, if it's possible to be more on edge than he had been in other weeks. That was a crucial time. But I had to leave the game with an injury. And uh, that's a no-no in the NFL, especially in those days, even though I couldn't push off my ankle. And that was the only game I missed any plays that I played the entire season because Ken Bowman had injured his shoulder, dislocated his shoulder. And uh, and so after the season, I was put on the expansion list, and that was heartbreaking, but it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to my NFL career because the New Orleans Saints claimed me and then immediately traded me to Don Shula and the Colts. So it ended up being a, a serendipity. Yeah, when you were picked up by the Saints, you know, an expansion team. And it wasn't like they are today where there's a lot of excitement around an expansion team. I mean, you knew based on the system they had there, they were going to be bad. Was that like disappointing to you? Think like, oh gosh, now I got to go start. You know, you've been at the very top of the game. Now you got to go to the very bottom. I sat on the floor and sobbed like a baby. My wife hovered over me, not knowing what to do with this vegetable she had married. Yeah, it broke my heart because I, as you say, it was such a, um, a monumental upset that I would be the starting center for the Packers, and then suddenly it was gone. So I had to start over, but that was that ended up being a blessing as well. Yeah, and the Colts, another great team and another great coach. And what was that like? Because Shula, obviously, a, a, one of the greats, just like Lombardi, but they were different. Right? Tell us kind of what the differences were between the two. Well, they were very different. Shula would allow some humor in the locker room or in the team meetings, and and guys would jack around. Now, when he set his jaw, when that iron jaw got square, he walked in with a frown. Uh, all our uh, team leaders would start punching everybody and say, "Hey, shut up, shut up! Shoes is not happy tonight." <laughs> okay, that meant no jokes. But a lot of nights we there was there were jokes and. The, the team motto was, if you can't take a joke, bleep you. I mean, that was the team motto. <laughs> and so everybody was, was the butt of jokes. And, um, and the reason Shula traded for me is because, again, the special teams thing. He actually called and said, would you come to Baltimore and play special teams? Would you be okay with that? And I said, Coach, I would walk to Baltimore to play for you. So I was playing special teams, and I clipped a guy my first game right in front of the bench, called back an 80-yard punt return, and Shula runs on the field, grabs me by the shoulders, and shakes me and screams in my face. Really, really, words Lombardi would have been proud of. <laughs> so um, I screamed right back in his face because he came on the field. And, and the NFL, NFL field is not a place for nice guys. I mean, just not any. And 
So if you cross the white line, you're one of us. And it didn't occur to me that was my head coach. So I'm watching the film Tuesday morning, and the assistant coach, John Sandusky, said, Curry, is that a clip? I said, might be. He said, well, let me make a suggestion to you. The next time you decide to dog cuss the head coach on national television, you make damn sure it's not a clip. You understand? I said, yes, sir. And I thought, I'm going to have a one-game career with Don (laughs) Shula. And my wife is flying in with our brand-new baby girl. And I was so had been so excited, and I thought, how do I salvage this? So I walked. I found Coach Shula, and I said, I need to talk to you. So he took me in the nasty old equipment room at Memorial Stadium and just stood there, and I said, Coach, I was out of line. I'm sorry I shot my mouth off. But you did cross the white line, and you told us you wanted us to be aggressive, and, and I'm, I, but I should never yell at you like that. And it won't happen again. You know what he did? Mm. He smiled. He smiled. He said, I kind of like that. Just wow. don't clip the guy. Just don't clip the guy. <laughs> now, you think we played hard for him? You think I played on the line for that guy? Oh, my gosh. He gave me new life. He's going to keep me, you know. And it not only did it not bother him, that's what he wanted to see out of us. And that's why it was hard, really hard to beat us. Um, so I got to play on in two systems that were really great guys, great environments with great coaches, and I think very few people have been as blessed as I was in that regard. Well, you were blessed there. You were also blessed with quarterbacks. I mean, you mentioned Bart Starr. You're with Baltimore. That's Johnny Unitas. Uh, <laughs> so, wow. I mean, talk about being around the best. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm walking to practice not long after I got to Baltimore. And um, Unitas, who acted like an old man, even though he wasn't, he wasn't old at this time, but it was blazing hot, and he had on a rubber jacket. And I thought, good gosh, what's he doing? And he's whistling. He's singing a happy tune. And we're walking down into this hole where it's going to be about 140 degrees Fahrenheit, and he's happy. And I'm thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with this picture? So I walked up and I said, hey, old man, what are you so happy about? How could you be humming a happy tune and whistling? He looked at me and said, now, Billy, Billy, let me tell you something. You're a long time dead, son. I said, what did you say to me? He said, you're a long time dead. You don't get to live very long. If you don't like what you're doing today, maybe you need to go find something else to do. And my practice attitude improved enormously. Oh, then he went on. He said, I love practicing football. I'm thrilled to be going down here today now. You don't feel that way? I said, I do now. <laughs> I'm right by your side, buddy. And that was that was how he was. He never changed expression. Uh, if he's walking in practice, he might smile. But once he got on the practice field, there was no smiling. It was all business. It's incredible. So – Great coaches, great quarterbacks, great cities. I mean, you want to talk about great NFL cities, Baltimore and Green Bay. What was that like? Because, I mean, those were both cities that loved their football team. We had such a bond in both cities, and I really wasn't around long enough in Green Bay to get sort of drawn into it, but I was in Baltimore six years, and probably fortunate that our salaries were about the same as the Dundalk dock workers. I'm serious now. Yeah. Um, my salary was um, 
$13,500 when I got to Baltimore, and Mr. Rosenblum gave me this incredible raise up to 20000 uh, so, so when we had beers with the with the dock workers and the and the guys that uh, the garbage collectors and the, I'm talking about the regular dudes and the tickets were like eight bucks. So I mean they were they made that place. It was called the world's largest outdoor insane asylum. That's what it was called. And uh, when they introduced us, it was the most thrilling thing I've ever experienced. It was not when they introduced me because there there was polite applause. I would jog out, and they'd introduce nine other guys, and there'd be ten of us in the huddle. And then the announcer would say, and at quarterback from the University of Louisville, number 19, and that would be the last thing you heard. They they did the, a test of the decibels, and at that time, I believe it was the loudest sound in the United States. It was the loudest. You couldn't hear another sound the rest of the introduction here, he'd come waddling out to the to the huddle and stick his head in there with that grin and that old nervous blink of his. And and what what the opponent didn't know, and didn't matter who it was, the game was over. They had no chance, no chance. Nobody could beat us in that stadium. Game was over. When they moved to Indianapolis, I mean, that was well after your playing days and so forth, obviously. But did that kind of hurt a little bit? Because I know how it felt as a Raider fan when they left Oakland the first time. <laughs> so is, did that kind of get you? Because I imagine you were always felt yourself as a part of the city. Of course. Of course we did. And the, and the people went out of their way. I mean, when we got home from a game, we beat San Francisco or something. We fly in in the middle of the night. There's a band out there. The Colt band is out at the airport on the runway playing for us. The cheerleaders are jumping around. I mean, nobody's ever had support like that. I'm nothing but an offensive center in uh, some uh, touchdown club in Hagerstown, Maryland, awards me the Extra Effort Award, and they bring Carolyn and me up there for a banquet in the offseason and give me this trophy. I still got it, the Extra Effort Award. What is that? <clears throat> That's just saying, we love you, we really appreciate you. And they did stuff like that all the time for all of us. So when Carol Rosenblum traded the franchise with Bob Ursay, uh, Ursay comes in and installs Joe Thomas as the GM, and they kind of dismantle the team, including you and Unitas. What was kind of the feeling when that new owner came in? Did you kind of see the end of an era? I mean, could you feel it? You could feel it when they traded 26 of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the number. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, happened, that was, it's pro sports. So, I mean, that's life. I think you just take your lumps and you move on to the next thing. And if you moan and complain, I mean, if we, if we could have imagined six years as wonderful as those years in Baltimore, I couldn't have hoped for a better experience. So we have nothing to complain about and we have nothing against the Ursays. It was just a different, it was a different experience with them. Well, I got to talk to you about one unpleasant experience that you guys went through Super Bowl three. And of course that was the, the big game, everybody knows, Namath and the AFL and so forth. 
what was the aftermath like that? Because somebody, eventually the AFL was going to win, and it was one of those things that was going to happen. And I know when I look back, I remember it as a kid watching it, and now when I look back at films, it really wasn't this big slaughter that it seemed like at the time. A couple of changes the way the ball bounces, and you guys could have won, and you were a great team. Was it just one of those times when it it was the AFL moment? Well, I think... They exploited some weaknesses that uh, we had that other people had not exploited. We turned the ball over. If you take the turnovers away, then um, we would have had one of our normal games, and I think it would have been a shootout because Namath was really that good um, throwing it. But he didn't have to. He didn't have to throw. He didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter because they had run the ball so well. But our running back, Tom Maddy, still is the leading yards per carry running back in the history of all Super Bowls. He averaged over 11 yards a carry. But we fumbled the ball, and we missed field goals, and we missed, uh, we threw interceptions, and that's just something we had not. We were 15-1 and one coming into that game, and um, we didn't play our normal game. And you can make all the excuses you want, but they won, they outplayed us, and uh, they didn't outplay us again for a while, but uh, that, that doesn't count. And it's still the most painful uh, part of my football experience. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps, and we're speaking to Bill Curry, whose teammates included legendary players like Willie Davis, Bart Starr, and Johnny Unitas. Hey, I'm Paul Shortino, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Rock on. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel it's that easy so call now and start packing call right now 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 800-267-1806 that's 800-267-1806 when might you be buzzed when you suddenly love everything you guys i love this song I love these nachos. I love our kickball league. Ugh! I love this guy. What's your name? You know what I love? A ride when it's time to head out. If you see a buzzed warning sign, call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I love your car. Is this real leather? 
Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home. Place to go is Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads, where they are always buying. If you've collected it, there's a good chance they'll buy it. No collections are too large or too small. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310-534-4180 or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is 310-534-4180. Now, let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. This is Vegas Never Sleeps, and we're speaking to Bill Curry, who speaks to executives now across the nation discussing leadership and success. His is a personal message molded by the extraordinary mentors and role models that he played with and played for. Well, then the injury, like you say, shut your shortened your career so you get into coaching and were you always thinking about being a head coach I mean having worked with Lombardi and Shula and so forth is that something you thought like well I'd like to take a shot at this what was that and were you thinking do I want to go pro or do I want to do the go back and go into the college game well I had no idea I'd be a head coach so soon and I, I certainly wasn't ready and I'm selfishly for being better educated and selfishly for Bart. I wish it had worked out so that I could have stayed in Green Bay longer, but Georgia Tech is my alma mater and Georgia Tech needed me at the time. So I felt like I had to go. Um, I certainly was not prepared, as I said earlier, to be a head coach. But um, the answer to your question is yes, I definitely eventually hoped that I would have a chance to be a head coach and I definitely wanted it to be on the college level because um, I just can't stand to cut people. I can't. I was always one of those guys that I was always one of those guys on the edge and wondering if I was going to get cut. And when I had to call in some young man that has just busted his, you know what, for 25 years to make it in the league and I had to tell him that we can't keep him and watching burst into sobs, I I could I just couldn't stand that. That, that, that. is a tough thing. I, I always thought mm. you know, it just even as a reporter covering that, you could just feel it because you know it's simple enough to say, well, as a fan, well, okay, they should get rid of this guy and that guy, but those are people, and that's their like lives, and and this is in a lot of cases might be their life's wish, you know, and all of a sudden it's over. They got to go find something else to do. Well, the ones that make it into an NFL training camp have been through an incredible um, winnowing process. And we've really done a great disservice to our young males in America because somehow we have it in their minds that they all are going to play in the NFL. I really think they are. Even the ones that are third string on a, a Georgia State team. We started a new team at Georgia State in, in 2010, and the guys – come there and you're third string at Georgia State and you think you're going to get in the hey coach can you get me in the Steelers camp 
the Steelers, what's you haven't gotten our camp yet, son. You you need to start, earn a starting job here before you start. But they think they're going to play. It's 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 a, such an illusion. But the ones who earn a chance to get in a training camp, of course, assume that they're going to make it. And when they don't, it just breaks their heart. And some of them fall apart. And we don't prepare them well enough. I take part of the blame in that. I wish I had done better at that. Um, but we do. We did push them to all graduate, and most of them did. Well, yeah, and that goes back to Bobby Dodd. It was great that he was so adamant about the academic side because for a lot of people, they could be great in college. They could say, not make it in the pros, but, boy, what a great thing to come out with a degree from Georgia Tech or wherever you go to school. Well, the one thing people know about Georgia Tech graduates, we, we know how to work and we know how to think because you cannot survive in that place. The hardest thing I ever did in my life was to graduate from Georgia Tech, and I'm so, so glad I did it. And you went in there, like you said, you weren't really prepared for it, and was it something about you know not only Coach Dodd, but also you're around these brilliant people, and if you got the right personality, and you apparently did, it pushed you to like... I'm going to try to do this because, boy, what a challenge that is to to compete with these people. Well, I was bound and determined to uh, succeed. I wanted to get married. I already knew who I wanted to marry. And uh, she was a great scholar and still is. We're going to have our 58th anniversary this year. That's great. She's a Ph.D. She's a Ph.D., um, no surprise. But uh, I didn't want to embarrass her. And I wanted desperately to, and we married while we were in college. And she dropped out and worked while I finished. And uh, once once I married her, I was never off the dean's list, by the way. But that was because I had my own my tutor sitting there say I would go turn the TV on. This actually would happen. I was 19 years old, no, 20 years old when we got married. I'd, I'd walk over and turn the television on. She'd walk over and turn it off and hand me my books. Wow. <laughs> You're <laughs> You're going to study now. Okay. <laughs> so um, that was it was, uh, it was a complex. I, w- I was just lucky with the timing. And we had, a, and Coach Dodd had a great system of tutors because we spent so much time on the practice field that uh, at night you'd go to chemistry tutoring. So you, you did get an extra boost. Um, but you better not cheat because they would run you off in a heartbeat if you cheated. That great relationship, though, you can kind of see throughout your career, that kind of pushed you, right? I mean, with her by your side, you were able to do all these things. Because a lot of these, especially in your coaching careers, I look at it, you went into difficult situations. I mean, for example, Alabama. you got to go in there. You're working in the shadows of Bear Bryant. That's tough. you you got to have that kind of – it's more than self-confidence. I guess it's in the belief in what you're trying to do to really get through all that. You got to be crazy. <laughs> That's what you got to be. <laughs> we'd, we'd look at each other and say, "Did we really just sign up?" Because everywhere I ever went, and this is just a—I don't know—this um, is just an accident of nature. That, but when I, if you played center at Georgia Tech, the center was expected to be an All-American because all the centers had been All-American. When I got to Green Bay and became the starting center, there had been a guy there named Jim Ringo. Uh, when I got to Baltimore and became the starting center, there had been a guy there named Dick Szymanski. Um And then when I became um, the head coach at Georgia Tech, guess what? 
Bobby Dodd. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you follow them immediately. It just matters that that's the one everybody's going to remember. And then at Alabama, it was Bear Bryant. And at, and at Kentucky, guess what? Bear Bryant was there, too. Yeah. So it, there was always this shadow of greatness hovering. And um, I always embraced it, saying, let's, let's try to be as much as we can to follow in that tradition. But you can never never match um, what's expected because none of those guys ever lost a game <laughs> and every single one and every single one of their players graduated with honors i mean that's the way they remembered and who would who would want to diminish any of that you talk about like bear Bryant, and I, sometimes people will go in and try to follow somebody like i remember at usc my alma mater there were a, a few that went in after john mckay and uh, not robinson but after that and they tried to change it. Like, well, we don't have those old traditions anymore. And I remember when Pete Carroll came in, he embraced that because he felt like that's part of your heritage. Let's use it. Is that what you try to do in Alabama? Like, you know, let's exactly. not try to change everything. Exactly. Uh, Ray Perkins is my, my buddy. He was one of my teammates with the Colts, and he was the coach before me. He had left the New York Giants to go to Alabama, and he had taken Coach Bryant's tower down. Well, we put it back up. <laughs> I said, Perk, I'm putting that thing back up because I don't want them to think they're going to blame me. They're not going to blame you because you're one of his boys. So anyhow, we tried we tried to uh, do the same thing that Pete did, uh, and, and I thought Pete did a great job at SC. Bobby Dodd, you know, didn't have many feuds or anything, but he did have one with Bear Bryant. Did that have any effect on your decision to take that job? Well, Coach Dodd had a big part in my taking that job um, because I, I meet when Alabama called and said they wanted to interview me I called Coach Dodd and he said you don't mean it I said yeah I do mean it and I thought he'd tell me to uh, stay put and don't even talk to him he said I mean he didn't hesitate he said well you have to go I said well, what do you mean coach he said I, I'm shocked he said look I love Georgia Tech, but I love you more, and I know you like the back of my hand, and you have to go because you always have to try to do – you have to climb the highest mountain, and that's a chance for you to do that, and I want you to do it. You have to do it. He and Coach Bryant had become friends again, and they they had restored the rivalry, Mm -hmm. which allowed me in my first game at Georgia Tech to play against Coach Bryant in Birmingham, believe it or not. Imagine a horror of that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the interesting part is you spent three years in Bama, and everybody knows about Bear Bryant, and we all know about Nick Saban, but you had really, even I, I was kind of surprised as I got ready for this. I didn't realize you went 10-2 and two in your last year, won the SEC and uh, National Coach of the Year. It's incredible. So I got to ask you, why did you leave? Because you were on a roll there. You got to beat Auburn. That's one thing, and we didn't. And it was um, destructive for my family. Um, I would, I could go jump in the foxhole every day, and I, I was enjoying it. I, I loved it. I had a great bunch of guys. We did have a great team. And I told them they were going to win the national championship the day I left. I said, I don't know how long it will take you, but it shouldn't take too long. It took them two years. But um, they were just special. Good gosh. Um great kids but uh, it was not a good situation and that's all I'll say about it um, for my family and I also felt like 
that I was a distraction and that I was detracting from our student athletes experience. And, and I told him that I don't want, I don't, I don't want to do anything that's going to diminish your college experience as a student or as an athlete. And that's, that's, I love you and I wish I could stay with you, but I just can't. And what, what is the most fascinating part of this whole story to me is then you become the first football coach at Georgia state now, starting a program from scratch, almost unthinkable right now. What was your expectations for that? And boy, how difficult is that? Because that seems so hard to start from from a beginning of, of nothing. You know, get, here's the uniforms. What's difficult is to um, get up a schedule, if you're in Atlanta, that's good enough to attract some people and some respect, but bad enough that you can beat somebody because nobody's going to come out and watch you if you're 0-11 every year. Uh, the rest of it we could do in an orderly process because the students, and at every place I ever coached, the students were out of this world, wonderful, including Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia State. The Georgia State students had made it very clear that they wanted a football team. and They had voted to increase the student athletic fee. That's unheard of, but that gave us $5 million a year to work with. So we started with, we did not have a football. We did not have a chin strap. We didn't have a locker room. We didn't have a meeting room. We didn't have a player or a coach. We had nothing. And so we got to start from scratch. And if you get to choose, you're the head coach and you've been around as long as I have, you ought to be able to choose wisely. Uh, in some areas, and I made a bunch of mistakes, but we also did some things well, and now they're up and running, and they've got a decent program, and it's not great yet, but I think it will be, and uh, the biggest break they got was that field. They now have old Turner Stadium, and they've they've um, revived that thing and, and converted it to a football stadium. It is just beautiful. They've got one of the prettiest football fields in America uh, to play downtown Atlanta. So uh, it's worked out really well, and, and we got a break on the Braves leaving that stadium. There's a book you wrote called Ten Men You Meet in the Huddle. It's an incredible—everybody, you should go find it and, and read it. Great book about football. What made you uh, decide to write that? Is that kind of like bringing all this together? My wife and George Plimpton harassed and harangued me for about 10 years because I just—I didn't want to write it— um, but uh, I just got tired of being harassed, so I sat down and did it. And uh, lo and behold, we lost George. He passed away before I got it, got it out, and I'm, I feel terrible about that. I don't know if people know who George Plimpton was, but he was a great author and a great sport raconteur. He would actually be a participatory journalist. He'd go... If he was going to write a book about the Detroit Lions, he'd go play for them for a couple of weeks and then write a bestseller called Paper Lion, uh, stuff like that. Uh, he and I wrote a book called One More July. We, he and I wrote that together. And he kept saying, Bill, you've got to do your own book because you can talk onto the page. Well, that's what I did. And Carolyn uh, helped me and helped edit it. And then uh, we re- refurbished it after 10 years. Um, and brought it back out in 2018, and I, it's a little, it's it's considerably better than the original version now. So I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, it, it's a fantastic book. 
Last question. Coach, what an incredible life you've had. I mean, this, you know, I, I think back to the old uh, George uh, Bailey thing. You really had a wonderful life. You really have been blessed. I mean, throughout your entire, uh, throughout your entire life, from starting from Georgia Tech, player, then a coach. Do you look back and say, "Wow, I really accomplished what I wanted to"? I mean, you can look back with pride, and and you know, your relationship with Carolyn is just a big part of that. That kind of wraps it all together. It's a matter of a commitment to a sport you love. Well, the best part of our lives is our marriage and our two children uh, and our seven grandchildren. That's the best part of our lives, and then quickly followed by um, our students and. Um, and a lot of them aren't football players. I mean, we didn't just serve the student athletes. We served. We tried to serve all the students, and uh, we hear from them almost every day. Carolyn has a, a a foundation for women who are alone, and, and the uh, name is not surprisingly "Women Alone Together." And she has um, seminars on health and wellness and financial planning and. Uh, spiritual wellness and all those kinds of things for uh, women who are living. Fifty-one uh, percent of women in America live alone now. That's very different than the the dynamics have been in the past. So she saw that need, and she's been doing this foundation for eighteen years now, and it's just wonderful when you see the work she does. So uh, I still have the privilege of speaking to a lot of groups. A lot of uh, my former players are coaches and I have the privilege of speaking to their teams or their companies and um, talking about the things we believe in diversity loving all people regardless of pigmentation or religion or background that you can't be a racist and step in the huddle I mean Vince Lombardi taught us that Willie Davis taught us that if you're a racist and you show up in a football huddle you're not going to be you're not going to be allowed to uh, do your thing you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to love your teammates or you're going to be chunked out the door quickly and probably not very reverently. So um, there's a lot good going on, and I really don't even I, – I couldn't begin to start to say how grateful I am. I don't have words. I'm just grateful to have participated in uh, in this many great young lives. And um, – some not so young anymore. When my former players are fifty-eight years old, that's that's sobering. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm so I'm so proud of all of them. Well, and I'm sure they are proud of you. Uh, one last thing, Carolyn's organization. Uh, where can people get involved? Because that sounds like a really worthwhile endeavor and something that people don't think about. It should, they can go online. It's women alone together. All those words. Uh, org, And then there is uh, org. It might be org, And she's written books as well. Her books are a lot better than mine, but um, <laughs> she's, she's a real historian. Well, thank you, Coach. Great having, having you on today. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Match reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go!
No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How would you like to learn the secrets to lose three to five pounds a week easily without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt by Med Diet. For the last two decades, we've been helping people just like you that have pounds they want to shed. We've helped millions of people lose thousands and thousands of pounds over the years. And now it's your turn. Learn the secrets of how to lose weight with one simple phone call. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us. We'll offer you a money-back guarantee. If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt. Call for your risk-free offer. 800-731-9778. 800-731-9778. That's 800-731-9778. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your dish-authorized retailer now. 800-344-2066. 800-344-2066. That's 800-344-2066. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-autopay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. Recover Now is a national campaign aimed at the education and awareness of the devastating effects of opioid and heroin abuse and curbing drug and alcohol addiction in the United States. Recover Now is sponsored by treatment facilities nationwide. Many of them have been where you are, and they want to help by spreading a message of hope and recovery. They're working hand-in-hand with major insurance companies nationwide that can help you or loved one get clean in 7 to 30 days. Recover Now is embarking on a national outreach campaign on TV and radio to promote anti-addiction messages. So if you, a loved one, or someone you know has a problem with drugs or alcohol, do not wait. A new life for you could be 30 days away. Call us right now. I promise this call can change your life. Sponsored by the Detox and Treatment Helpline. 800-936-5087. 800-936-5087. That's 800-936-5087. 